welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and it's always a pleasure to have you here with me. Uh, this podcast, for those of you that are new, this podcast is a, a, a kind of a low-key and maybe even a quiet series of reflections and conversations about what I'm loosely referring to as a broad, uh, full-spectrum spirituality. And by that, I just mean that uh, a lot of spirituality focuses on the love, the light, the compassion, the, the brilliance of awareness, all the positive aspects. But what tends to get sidelined is the shadow aspects, how practice, real genuine practice, starts to reveal um, our personal and even collective shadow more to our consciousness. Um, and I personally, I found that, that it's very important to have conversations and reflections and tools for how to integrate the both, um, how to unify them. So that's the, the theme of the podcast. And uh, in today's reflection, I'm sharing a talk I gave last night. And this is a really just a reflection around a very uh, basic, even primary instruction in meditation that's often given around cultivating awareness of breathing. So in cultivating awareness of breathing, I, I share from my practice in Burma, uh, from uh, reflections I've received from Zen teachers about how to sense and feel and uh, really ground awareness within the pit of the belly and how that awareness in the belly, when we, we sense the, the breathing from the belly, from within the belly, how that provides or sets creates the, the, uh, an ability to look upon ordinary experiences from a different perspective, uh, from a less thought-based, more sensation-based perspective, maybe. Um, and I'm just setting the stage for developing more shamatha, more calm stability in our being, um, before I start opening up to um, more further reflections on the nature of what we become aware of and the nature of consciousness in relationship to what we're aware of. Um, and that's all contained in this particular sutta or discourse of teaching that the Buddha gave that I'll be referring to again in this particular talk. I gave a few short reflections on it previously, and that's the teaching given to Bahia or what's known as the Bahia Sutta. Um, so I hope you enjoy today's reflections. And if you would like to practice and join the meditation, if you'd like to have access to the recordings of these uh, sessions and the guided meditations that go with it and the discussion and the weekly yin yoga classes and yin yoga qigong classes that Terry and I teach, um, please do consider joining us in the Riverbird Sangha. That's just a community of online practitioners or people sort of loosely connected throughout the world, practicing yin yoga, qigong, and meditation together, um, or individually, because many people do just, uh, I think, uh, use the library of classes and workshops and tutorials um, as an adjunct support in their, in their ongoing practice. And that's our main intention. Terry and I are, are really just committed to supporting practitioners in their practice and, and really sharing what we learn and have learned from our practice as, as fellow path travelers with you. So if you'd like to join us, check out the show notes. There's a link for how to join our classes or our library of classes. And um, we look forward to practicing with you. And now, without further ado, I bring you today's reflection, Breathing from the Pit of the Belly. 
tonight, uh, the two, if I reviewed through the two themes that I kind of put on the table over the last couple of weeks that we had, when we had session, um, three weeks ago, I think it was, I, sh- I began to share with you some reflections around a fairly well-known uh, discourse or a well-known teaching called the Bahia Sutta or Bahia Sutta. And, um, and then a week after that, I sh- we had a reflection around um, kind of a poetic term of ballast. And I, I, I reflected a little bit about how our practice can function or serve like a ballast, a, a, a solid weight of stability in our life. And I kind of want to try to tie those two weeks together, those two teachings together, the teaching that the Buddha gave to Bahya um, with a sense of ballast in the practice. So this will be practice-oriented. This is a, sort of a practice theme session. And just to quickly review, um, Bahya was a spiritual teacher um, at the time of the Buddha. and um, like many practitioners, like just many people in general, uh, at one point, a, a great deal of doubt came up in Bahia's mind and heart around whether he was practicing correctly, whether he had attained anything of spiritual significance, whether he was on the path. And through some kind of cosmic uh, celestial voices, we can say, or internal voices in his own heart and mind, a, uh, the message was that he was not on the path. <laughs> he was kind of in a cul-de-sac, that he um, hadn't found a practice yet that would lead him to the, hearts of, the heart of awakening. So he then inquires and discovers that there is a, an individual out there named the Buddha uh, that can teach this path. So Bahia jets off to, to find the Buddha And upon finding him, sort of throws himself down and says, please teach me. Please teach me. And this is the part that I want to jump to right now, which is the essence of these instructions, which is the Buddha says, and I I know I've shared these phrases with you several times now, but the essence of it is the Buddha saying, you should train yourself like this. Train yourself such that in the sound, there's only the sound. In the sensation, there's only the sensation. In the thought, there's only the thought. Goes through the other sense experiences as well, sights. And, um, I think sight's the only other one mentioned in that sutta, but it could include you know, smells and tastes too. But in a short list, just letting things be exactly as they are. Um, and when we first encountered this sutta, I tried to suggest that um, as, as I've, I've heard interpretations and uh, reflections given on this teaching, that one way of looking at it is the, the Buddha is encouraging Bahya and us to really investigate our experience, to look into our moment-to-moment, our immediate experience without adding anything to it, without putting... Uh, preferences, uh, condemnations, judgments, um, desires for things to be other, but just to, to, to really rest within the 
bare immediacy, the direct, intimate, bare immediacy of what's occurring. And this, this way of expressing the teaching um, could be defined or described as choiceless awareness. Because the Buddha is not saying only pay attention to sounds. He's not saying only pay attention to sensations. He's not saying only pay attention to your thoughts. He's saying whatever is there, let those be just what they are. So there's, there's, there's a, what in various traditions is referred to as choiceless awareness. There's no preference around what's being known. There's just a, in a sense, a radical ability or a radical willingness to let things be. And the sutta goes on. I'm going to pick up on where that, where it starts to go um, probably next week. But I want to drill into kind of the essence of what I hear as the, the heart of that practice that the Buddha is giving Bahya and giving us. And to simplify it, I want to just give a, a, a suggestion uh, that is found in many traditions, but a suggestion around what it might be like to practice letting something be. So, the, you know, the, the teaching, again, just to reiterate, is to let everything be. And that's kind of a, you know, a tall order um, in a way. But um, in various things that I've practiced, particularly with music, you know, it, it, if you can break something complex down into a simple uh, piece or a part and practice that part, and you can put that part back in to get it back into the context of the larger um, piece or the larger experience. So rather than suggesting tonight that you know, everyone let sounds be sounds, thoughts be thoughts, sensations be sensations, I'm going to suggest we um, work with the breathing, work with breathing as an example um, of how to practice letting things be. So the, if I were to adapt the instructions that Buddha gave Bahya to us working with the breath, I might say, can we train ourselves to let the breath be only the breath? And, and, the re and I, to give you a little bit of the backstory why I'm going in this direction, I'm choosing this, this at this point because feeling the breath naturally, to let the breath be just the breath, isn't a so much a cognitive exercise. You know, it's, it's not something you, that uh, happens when we think harder about it. It's more of a feeling exercise, feeling into just the, the rhythm, the flow, the movement of the sensation, and to let yourself, in a sense, uh, surrender into that rhythm. And, um, and this is a practice that, as I mentioned, is found in, in various traditions. Um, it was part as a, a major part of the Burmese style of Buddhist meditation that I practiced. Um, but I know that it's also found in um, Zen instructions. When people start Zen practice, they're told to 
bring their attention into their, their abdomen. And um, to that end, I wanted to just share a, a passage that I discovered recently from a, a classic Zen book called Three Pillars of Zen by Kaplow Roshi. This was one of the great early American Zen masters who had trained for quite a while in Japan. And um, in Japanese culture, the, the, the abdomen is referred to as the hara. Um, and in the style of acupuncture that I practice, we would often palpate the abdomen or palpate the abdomen, the hara, to see what kinds of energetic imbalances might be existing in the body at, at large. And Kaplow Roshi here says, the hara literally denotes the stomach and abdomen and the functions of digestion, absorption, elimination, all connected with them. But he says, it's going to quickly mute folks. But he says, it also, the hara also has psychic and spiritual significance. So this abdomen isn't just a, a zone of organs. It also has psychic and spiritual significance. He continues, according to Hindu and Buddhist yogic systems, there are a number of psychic centers in the body through which vital cosmic force or energy flows. So these are energetic centers in this abdominal area of the hara. And two such centers embraced within the hara. One is associated with the solar plexus, whose systems of nerves governs the digestive processes and organs of elimination. Hara is thus a wellspring of vital psychic energies. So that's all preamble in a way to, the next, to his quoting of a famous Zen master, Harada Roshi. He says, Harada Roshi, one of the most celebrated Zen masters of his day, in urging his disciples to concentrate their mind's eye in their hara, would declare, quote, you must realize, that is make real, you must realize that the center of the universe is the pit of your belly. And when I heard that, I, I love that, I, um, that the, the kind of the poetry of that, uh, that injunction that the Zen master Harada gave. You must realize that the center of the universe is in the pit of your belly. And that begs a question, what does that mean? Is, does that mean we um, interpret cynically or, or negatively that we're the goal of the practice is to become spiritually solipsistic. Or we think that we are in the center of the universe and the universe revolves around us. And I don't, I want to kind of recommend not taking that interpretation. <laughs> um, but one way of looking at it is that what the suggestion there is, is that literally the center of your world right now is your awareness. The center of your world is your awareness. So the center of your, your lived experience of the universe is your awareness. And 
normally as we talk about in yoga a lot, you know, there's a sense that the, that seat of awareness, that center of awareness is riding around between the eyes, between the ears, behind the eyes a little bit. Um, and so that it has this default location up in the head. But one of the reasons why I think multiple traditions suggest allowing awareness to sink into the belly is that it, it creates some distance bef- be- between the default that we normally have. You know, we're, 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 when the awareness shifts down into the belly, it's not that we stop being aware of thoughts or that we stop being aware of sounds or that we stop having sort of other sensations that, we're, that we notice. It's that with the mind's eye in the hara, in the belly, we see and observe and experience the same conditions of thinking, thoughts, feelings, sensations. We observe these from a different perspective within our own physicality, within our own body. And I think that, I want to suggest that that sets the stage in a way for us to look at these occurrences, at these experiences of thinking, feeling, hearing. It allows us to look upon them from a a more objective position than when, you know, our attention tends to be locked in our head and we're kind of just rattling around in the, the cyclone of our thinking. So this is this creates starts to create a little bit more space uh, from which we can look and in, look upon and include whatever's occurring. And I said this in in um, one of the Yin Yoga classes recently, but the the reason why I I have waited so long actually to start talking about breathing is because and bringing awareness to breathing is that it's not that it's not a great practice. It's, it's just that in the beginning, I think people get a perfectionistic um, idealistic approach to it where they try to only be with a breath and they get frustrated when they're not with a breath. Um, and there's, there's this idea that if they're aware of other things beyond the breath, they're not practicing well. Um, but in the context of the teaching that, we've been exploring the, the teaching to Bahya, the Buddha is clearly not saying you can, you only have to be aware of one thing. He's the, 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 the direction this is moving is to let the, the, the world of experience within your practice be what it is to not add or subtract anything from it. So I want to guide us tonight to connect with the felt sense of the energy in the belly as we breathe and to feel that from within. Um, It's like, if you consider my palm, my open palm, the experience of being with the breath in the belly is like the mind holding something that's placed in the palm. I put a paperclip, that's what I had here, but I put a paperclip in the, 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 the palm of my hand. So my, my, my hand is holding the paperclip and that's analogous to awareness holding the sensation of, of, of the belly breathing. 
And while you're holding that, you know, while your mind is holding that experience of the belly breathing, it's likely that other things will come in, into your awareness. You'll think about things, you'll uh, hear things, you'll feel other sensations. And at times, those other occurrences, you know, are said to, or can be said to take you away from the experience of breathing. They kind of uh, abduct you a little bit. And that's going to happen. That's, that will absolutely happen. And it shouldn't be seen as, as any kind of a problem. If anything, I would want to just suggest that that's why in yin meditation, we spend so much time just emphasizing relaxation receptivity. So when the mind wanders, we don't get, uh, we don't get bent out of shape. We just stick with, oh, this is the way the mind is. It will move. It will think. It can be, we can observe that pattern. So there's times where you will have your mind pulled away from the breathing. And the simple suggestion I want to remind everyone of is when you realize that having occurred, all you need to do is relax and just relax. Because the relaxation, again, counters the energy to add judgment, resistance, struggle. The, the, in the way the, the encouragement to relax, the participation with the relaxation divests of that energy to try to control or judge or fix or improve. There's nothing to improve really other than the ability to relax within what is. But while holding the belly, the, the sensations of the belly breathing, other things may come up and they sort of brush against, like they brush against your awareness. They, they pass your awareness much like my, my second hand here, my, my left hand is brushing against the hand holding the object. <clears throat> or, a, or a bug could come by and brush against my hand. So while I'm with one thing, i.e. while I'm breathing with the sensation of the belly, I may be aware of other things floating through. And that's, that's, that's really the idea is that we're not excluding, that our attention is not exclusive and trying to keep things out. We're resting our attention with something stable, something rhythmic and grounded to be inclusive of everything else. So, so again, and this can come up in maybe the discussion, there are no distractions. There are no distractions. Everything is grist for the mill here. Sounds as sounds, sensations as sensations, thoughts as thoughts. So I know we've had a, you know, in some ways, yin meditation itself, the way I've, which is just a, a formulation of basic instructions, really. Um, that's, that, that approach to practice doesn't tell you to, to stay with the perch. And so in this case, the belly, the, 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 the breath within the belly is like a perch that has a little bit more motion to it or a little bit more movement or a little more dynamism with it. But when your mind flies off, relax and allow your awareness to sink back and come to the belly. There's, if you know other techniques of labeling or counting and anything like that related to breathing, if you find that helpful, 
by all means use that if, if it's if it's supportive to you. But I want to keep um, the instructions simple for now, and and just close this reflection with the the main intention that once again the Buddha's instructions to Bahya are to let things be what they are, to let be, let sounds be sounds, sensations be sensations, and. All I'm suggesting now is to, for tonight's practice as an exercise, not as, an ex, as a practice you do for the rest of your life, but as an exercise or a, a, a way to practice this is just to focus on the breathing and explore what does it mean to participate with observing the breathing without adding anything to it. How do we do that? How does that work? And that's a question that we all have to creatively engage with. And then we'll, while you engage with it, you can taste the effect that awareness resting in this way has on how you see and how you experience, how you understand what's happening. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's talk. I hope, as always, it gives some, uh, maybe some, new perspective on something old. Uh, breath awareness has been around for a long time, and I don't claim to, I'm not inventing the wheel here. I'm just trying to offer some reflections that can can stimulate and um, kind of spark your own curiosity. One of the members in the group wrote to me that after the guided meditation last night, it was, she said it was the first time in her many years of practice that she felt the simplicity of the breathing. And it's, it's, it's insights like that or responses like that that are very gratifying and, um, and motivating. Uh, so that as I've been thinking about this, nothing gives me more pleasure as a, as a, as a practitioner, as a teacher, when a student um, connects with something and that the, the, the teaching or the reflection unlocks something within the student's ability so that they now own something they they see and, and experience something for themselves and that turns on the the, uh, the sense of possibility and direct realization in their practice so if you'd like to have that support please do consider joining us and we look forward to practicing with you so until next time until the next episode take good care stay safe keep practicing and we'll see you soon all the best